Hey everyone, welcome to the Vineyard Church Podcast. We are finishing up chapter 12 of Genesis this week, and as Chris digs into a part of Abram's life, we see that there are major implications to the decisions we make that impact us and those around us. Let's take a listen as Chris shares a few practical steps on how we can learn from Abram and better navigate our decisions. Well, welcome back, everybody, to In the Beginning. We are in part nine of our series. Uh, We're going to be in chapter 12 of the book of Genesis today as we continue through this amazing book that is so applicable to our world today. I hope that you will follow along in a Bible. I encourage you to, to get one out, open it up to chapter 12 of the book of Genesis. Now, to find Genesis, you go to the back of the Bible. There it is. Go, go forward 12 chapters. We'll be there in a minute, but let me just catch us up on where we are in the story. The first 11 chapters of this book are, are really just an overview of the first couple thousand years of history of the world. Um, it is, was written specifically to give us an idea of why the world we live in today, uh, or for the people of Israel, who it was really originally written for, why the world they lived in was not all that great, why there was such pain and brokenness and everything else. And it's the same explanation for us today. It applies. Uh, and then last week, we, we met in chapter 12, we met the guy who becomes the central figure of this book. There's going to be 12 chapters about him in this book, and the rest of the book about is about he and his family. And then he is mentioned all the way through the Bible. He is the, kind of the center of faith in history. He's a big deal. His name is Abram. He will eventually be Abraham. And we find Abram and his wife Sarai um, wandering around or kind of settled down, I guess, in the desert of what is now modern-day Iraq. They're pagan worshipers, and uh, nobody has really heard anything from God for a long time. They have no God concept other than their pagan idols and gods. And God the God, the God who made it all, shows up one day and has a conversation with Abram. Now, we don't have a lot of details about that, but it was profound enough that it inspired Abram to pick up at 75 years old and head off into the desert to a land that he didn't even know where he was heading. God said, I'll, I'll show you, just trust me, follow me. And he picks up his family uh, and, 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 and they head off into the desert um, we'll eventually end up in what we know as the promised land. Now, everywhere he goes, because he's had this profound encounter with God, he worships God. He builds, he builds altars in what are traditionally pagan places, and he begins to tell people about God, and, and he begins to gather people, and, and, and so they're kind of a growing entourage of people. And last week at the end, he was headed for the Negev, which is which is an area, a region in northern Israel, a desertous region in northern Israel, and then a famine hits. Now, famines are a big deal at that place in time. Famines are always a big deal. Today, we've got ways to mitigate famines, don't we? We've got irrigation, we've got pesticides, we've got herbicides, we've got global transportation systems, so if things aren't growing in one part of the globe, we can move them from one part of the globe to the other part of the globe. We have ways to mitigate it. It's, it's not that it's not a big deal, it's just not the the life or death situation typically that they were dealing with. For them, it stops raining for a while, their animals die, then they die. It's, it's a big, hairy deal. It's a bit of an emergency for Abram. 
And we're going to pick up in verse 10 of Genesis chapter 12, and this is what it says. Now, there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. So a famine hits, Abram makes a decision that, hey, we got to eat. We're going to Egypt. I heard there's food there. Now, as Moses is writing this down for the children of Israel, and they're hearing all of this for the first time, what, what they are hearing is he's going to Egypt. Egypt is bad. We were in Egypt. Egypt was equals slavery, Egypt, everything. And then in the Old Testament, every time Egypt is mentioned, it's, it's generally a negative connotation. You don't want to go to Egypt. But Abram had a decision to make. There, there was a real crisis he was facing, and he needed to make a call. And he made the call to take his family and go to Egypt to get some food. The problem is, is that that's not where God was leading him. He made this call on his own. I want you to notice it says, And Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. Underline because the famine was severe. He's got severe situation. He's got a life or death situation. He's got to make a call. He makes the call. He makes the wrong call. Now, that leads me to my first point, which is this. When you find yourself in a battle between common sense, because common sense would have dictated, we need to go where the food is, right? When you find yourself in a battle between common sense and God's leading, go with God's leading. Uh, now, I need to say this on the front end because some of us are completely void of common sense. Not you, obviously, but the people sitting around you certainly are. God is not against common sense. He's not. He doesn't want us to just check our common sense at the door. Um, he wants us to grow in our ability to make decisions, good decisions, mature decisions. Uh, and everything is not a spiritual decision. There are some things God doesn't really have an opinion on. He's just like, you go ahead and make the decision. And he doesn't say anything when we're like, what do you want me to do here? And you don't hear anything, and he wants you to make a decision, and, and that's absolutely fine. So please hear that. In fact, that's part of the growing up process, I believe. But when God does have an opinion, and there are times, there are a lot of times when he has an opinion on a situation, you want to go with what God is saying. Now, what I don't have in the text here is that God told Abram to do something and he did something else. Kind of reading uh, around the text in between the lines, because ultimately what we will find out in this passage is that this was not God's will. It wasn't where God wanted Abram to go. So either God didn't speak yet and Abram just made a call, or Abram disobeyed God. And in either case, um, he ends up making a bad decision. But you want to listen for God because when God has an opinion on a situation, you want to go with his leading. It works out best every time. And so what Abram ends up doing in the middle of an emergency, right? We make bad decisions in the middle of emergencies. In the middle of an emergency, he takes matters into his own hands. He hatches a plan that's full of problems. One, it's, it's, it's a fear-based decision. We're all going to die. We never make a good decision when we're in that state of mind, right? It has, it's full of moral downsides. And he didn't, as we can assume, take the time to listen for what God was telling him to do in this situation. In verse 11, it says, as he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. 
Now, uh, from this passage, this is the one line that, that I think we can take and emulate. Gentlemen, this is a great line. I know what a, to your wife, I know what a beautiful woman you are. This is perfect. Now, the problem is, is he's buttering her up and he's about to ask her to do something that is really kind of horrific. He starts off okay, but then he goes off the rails. In verse 12, it says, when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. And then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Now, this raises a couple questions, doesn't it? It raises, one, the question of why would they kill Abram just because his wife is beautiful? What's going on with that? Well, they're going into a new country. Um, the ruling elite are used to having what they want. And what is, what is kind of insinuated here is that Sarai is a stunningly beautiful woman, like breathtaking woman. Um, and so if a king or a oligarch or an official who has power in that country finds her pleasing and wants her, well, they'll kill off her husband and take her home to be their wife. So his life is in danger. So that's what he's worried about, right? The second thing... The second question that comes up here that I've always kind of wrestled with is we know that Sarai is 65 years old at this point in time. So what came, nothing against 65-year-old women. I mean, I, there were some beautiful 65-year-old women, but not the typical profile of somebody that a king is going to kill somebody over, Right? How is a 65-year-old woman attractive enough to a king that he would kill somebody and take, take her into his harem and all that? And that's always bothered me. I'm like, this doesn't make any sense until you really stop and think about it. You know, people lived longer there then. Abram lives almost to 200 years old. You know, and on that timeline, if, as people live longer, it would stand to reason that they age slower. And in today's kind of longevity and age scale, she'd probably be about in her mid-30s. She's never had kids, and she's stunningly, I would even say supernaturally beautiful. There's a radiance to her, jaw-dropping, okay? That's not, that's not that hard to imagine. It's also in those, if you look through history, there are different standards of beauty from uh, age to age, um, and, and, and so, you know, maybe older women were more attractive then. I don't, I don't know. But what I do know is that this is not going to go to a good place. And what I do know is that's all entirely feasible and possible when you really stop to think about it. But this isn't going to a good place. Moses is writing this down for the Israelites. There's something for them to learn in this. They know that Egypt is not a good place. That they're, they're probably, if, if, they're, you know, if they, this were a movie and they were watching, they'd be like, no, don't, you know, don't go there. Don't go to Egypt. He's going to Egypt. And in the midst of it, he's going to compromise. And they know that compromise is not a good thing. Well, Abram hatches this plan. In verse 13, it's a, he says this to his to his wife, who also, by the way, is his half-sister. Now, I know that's kind of, in our culture, that's, that's kind of what? But that was not considered uh, strange in those days. So he says, say you're my sister, which is kind of a lie because she's his wife, 
but she's kind of his sister, so, I mean, it's not as a little bit of a lie. We're stretching the truth here a little bit, a moral compromise. Say you're my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. Because if he's her husband, he's going to be killed and they're just going to take her. But as his, as a brother, he'll be rewarded. He might even get a dowry. He may, may get some stuff out of this. As a husband, he'll be killed. So the plan is this. Let's lie just a little bit. Just go with it, Sarai. Trust me. And he trades his wife. He trades the fidelity of their marriage to another man for stuff and for his own safety. Now, you don't have to be a Christian to know that that's icky. That's just bad. Like, under any circumstance, under any moral code, that's awful. Who wants, to, who wants to do that? And all the pain that they will live with because of a decision like this. In four, verse 14, it says, When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that Sarai was a beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace, and he treated Abram well for her sake. And Abram acquired sheep, cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants. These are all things of, of great value, of, of, of wealth, and camels. And camels were, were kind of like the Lamborghini of the, uh, of the desert. So, I mean, he's got, he's got all the stuff. Abram is crushing it. He is winning. Like, if, if, if we are judging strictly on material grounds, Abram has made a great decision. He's got stuff, and he's getting more stuff. And the, the king, the pharaoh, is treating him well because he's the sister of his, his new wife. And, um, and yeah, he's, he's winning. He won the lottery, at least for now. Now, it would be easy for Abram at this point, just like it's easy for us at this point, when we do something that we know is wrong, is questionable, is morally a compromise, and it actually works out to our advantage, it's very easy to go, oh, well, God doesn't care so much about this. Oh, maybe this wasn't as big a deal as I thought it was. Let's keep going with this. This is working out really well. Which brings me to my second point. Don't mistake short-term success for God's approval. Don't mistake short-term success for God's approval. God does not approve of this situation, as we are about to see. You know, I think sometimes we think we can get away with, when we get away with something, when it doesn't go bad immediately, then, oh, I can do a little bit more, and, oh, I can do a little bit more. And oftentimes, the consequences for what we have done don't come until we're later on down the road, and they come in ways that we don't expect. Delayed consequences are pretty normal, actually. You know, if you go out and you cheat on your spouse, your marriage isn't going to blow up that day, typically. Now, the quality of the relationship will start to degrade. There will be lies between you. Intimacy will begin to unravel. Um, you're going to do damage that's really hard to undo. Children end up getting hurt. It's devastating in the long run. But short term, it can kind of feel like a win. Hey, I've got this kind of exciting thing going on on the side, and I still got my family and all that. Just wait. Don't mistake short-term success for God's approval. 
You know, uh, when my kids were in school, they uh, brought a program, they're still in school, but when they were little and in school, they brought a, a program in called, I think it was Mothers Against Drug, Drunk Driving. And they came in and it was like, if you touch cigarettes, you'll die, which I don't even know what that has to do with drunk driving. But it's like, like my kids were like looking around for, those people are smoking. <gasps> you know, I mean, it was like, just you're, you're going to die if you, if you smoke. Now, the problem with this approach is the kids will eventually try a cigarette. And guess what? They won't die. They won't die. They probably aren't going to like it at first, but they're not going to die at that point. So, oh, wait a second, I can get away with this. Well, maybe I can smoke some marijuana. <laughs> well, I didn't die. What else can I get away with? And the, and the problem, guys, is, is that we look at such short-term through such a short-term window, and we don't consider the long-term implications, and we mistake, we mistake getting away with it in the short term for either God's approval or the fact that we'll get away with it in general. And eventually, it will come back to bite you because it can start with cigarettes, go to marijuana, go gateway to, to, to other drugs. All of a sudden, you know, a couple years down the road, if you're not physically dead because you hit fentanyl somewhere along the line. You're emotionally and spiritually dead. You've traded the things that matter the most in your life. Yeah, you'll eventually die. It's not a good, it's not a good way to go. But don't mistake short-term success for God's approval. You know, one of the questions, and we see this question come up in Scripture as well, why are the, the wicked prospering? Why are the disobedient doing well? And you do see this in the world. I, I, I know folks who are incredibly successful, incredibly successful, who drink themselves to sleep every night because they're broken on the inside and empty, right? And, and so those consequences are coming they're coming eventually, they always do. That brings me to point three, which is this, gaining the whole world and losing your soul is still losing your soul. It's still losing. All the consequences will come down the road. Abram here, you don't trade your wife and the fidelity of your marriage and not have a whole host of issues and problems and emotional and spiritual brokenness to begin to put back together. Don't think that he doesn't have to walk through that, that they together don't have to walk through that on the other side of this. He, he, he sacrifices his integrity as he makes this decision and goes into Egypt and, and chooses to do what he did. Now, he's leading people. He's gathered people, and his moral authority to lead them has been compromised and, uh, and, and, and his, yeah, it, there's, there's a whole mess to clean up. And God does redeem it. So please don't hear me saying that God doesn't redeem it. But guys, and, and God will redeem us too out of our messes and out of our Egypts. But oftentimes there are very real, practical, painful consequences to our stupid decisions 
that we have to walk through. And don't think that Abram doesn't eventually have to do that as well. In verse 17, it says, but the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because Abram's wife, Sarai. So they, they break out. We don't even know what they get, the pox, something. Uh, they've got, it sounds like it's multiple diseases. So Pharaoh summoned Abram. What have you done to me, he said. Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? So they break out with, with this infestation of diseases. The Pharaoh does an investigation. It's like somebody, something's going on here. This is a curse. This is beyond just, oh, there's a sickness going through the family. Something is going on here. And they find out that, that Abram lied, that Sarai is actually his wife, and that this is, this is a situation. He believes it's a curse from, from the gods or from God or whatever. And he says, why did you say she's my sister, so that I took her to be my wife. Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men, and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. So Pharaoh is scared. You know, Pharaoh very well could have just executed Abram right there, but He's got, a, he's got a plague going on in his household. There's a, a supernatural kind of curse thing going on that he is convinced, is, and, and he's not going to, uh, he's not just going to execute Abram. He's like, take your wife, take your stuff, and get the heck out of here. And he gets to keep all the stuff, gets his wife back, and they head back into the desert. God forces him out of Egypt. Abram, even in this situation, didn't choose to leave Egypt on his own. He was forced out brings me to the fourth point. Don't confuse the Bible, including what happened for God's approval for his, I'm sorry, don't confuse the Bible, including what happened for God's approval of what happened. God does not approve of this situation. God does redeem Abram, and the Bible includes this unbelievably horrible decision and story, and it, it doesn't he just doesn't leave it out. There's things that God wants us to learn from the mistakes. And eventually, Abram turns back to God. You know, someone asked me last week after the service, why did God still use Abram? I mean, he, after all, he brought along Lot, right? He disobeyed God and brought Lot along. Why, why, would it, why, why didn't he just bail on him? And, and, you know, my answer was, well, God doesn't bail on us either. You know, that's the good news. We all make mistakes. We all do stupid. We all do stupid from time to time. So we all will, in moments of fear and panic, choose to worship our common sense and follow our common sense instead of following God. None of us are exempt. The Scripture is a series of stories of flawed people making mistakes and then God restoring them. Thank God it is. There's hope for all of us because we all fall short and we all do stupid. And the good news for you and the good news for me is no matter what we've done, no matter what you have done, no matter how bad it is, and it's really unlikely that you've traded your wife for stuff. But even if you've done that, God has a hope and a future for you. 
He wants you to get out of Egypt, right? Like, that's, that's it. We make a stupid decision. We go into Egypt. He's like, get out of Egypt. He invites us to repent. So if we're walking towards Egypt. He says, repent just simply means turn around and go the other way. Walk back toward God. Like your mistakes aren't fatal and they aren't final, but you've got to turn around and go the other, other way. And will God at times jump in and force us out in the other way? Yes, he will, and that's his mercy, but he invites us to do it on our own, and it's a much better way to go. Get out of Egypt and come to him and say, Lord, I'm coming, I'm coming at you. I made a mistake. Here's my mistake. Own it. Apologize for it. Ask for his mercy. And then say, from this point on, as best I can, I'm going to live for you. I'm going to follow you. And as we'll see in Abraham's life, God continues to use him. God continues to to, uh, restore and forgive and in spite of Abraham's mistakes to use him. Which brings me to point number five. No matter what you've done, you can turn back to God today. Get out of Egypt. There are some of us who are, we've made stupid decisions. And the longer you stay in Egypt, the more pain you're causing to yourself over the long run, the more pain you're going to cause to the people you love, your kids, your wife, your family, your, your parents, your friends. You don't have to stay in Egypt. Wake up and come home. Turn around and get out of Egypt. And the reality is God will welcome you with open arms. He has a hope and a future for you. He has a purpose for your life even now, and he will restore you. He has an impact for your life, and he has a friendship with him that you're designed for. But as long as you're living in Egypt, it's not really gonna work out all that well. And there will be consequences, and even if you're not experiencing them yet, you will, you will. If you'll make your life about him instead of about you, he can use you in ways that will blow your mind. You can't even imagine. So today, repent. Turn around and go the other way. Get the heck out of Egypt. Get out of the affair. Get into rehab. Stop cheating at work or at school. Break off the relationship. Whatever your Egypt is, stop doing stupid turn to God and he will restore you and you're going to have to dig deep to find the courage to to actually do that because we get into our patterns and we think we're getting away with stuff and it's comfortable and we like comfortable boy do we like comfortable and we're going to need some courage to 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 actually make a move and oftentimes the move God calls us to make doesn't even make any sense sometimes it's completely counterintuitive and we need the courage and the faith to actually trust and follow God and ultimately that's what Abram is praised for is his faith to get up and follow God so today If you're in Egypt, get out, no matter what you've done. Turn to God. Just tell him right now. Say, God, I'm in a bad place. And it's working out okay or it's not working out okay, whatever your situation is, but I need to get out of here. I'm coming. I'm coming for you. I'm coming to you. I am leaving Egypt today. 
and I need your strength, and I need your courage, and I need you to meet me in this. And then go and follow him and let him walk you through whatever those consequences are. He'll walk through them with you, and he will restore your life. Guys, this is, this is so profound and so important. Like, if you find yourself in Egypt, that's what you got to do. But there's another side to this that I just want to close with, and it's this. How do we stay out of Egypt in the first place? How do we stay out of Egypt in the first place? Like, the better situation would have been for Abram to never have made this stupid decision and go there and create the, the chaos and the pain that he created. So how do we do that? And so I've got four things real quick. First, ask God, do you have an opinion on this? Lord, do you have an opinion on this? Whatever decision you're facing in your life, stop, drop, and pray and ask God, what's your opinion on this? And then listen, take time and actually listen. There's a lot of stuff in our lives where God has an opinion, where he'll, he'll nudge you, he'll give you an impression in your heart or a thought in your mind or a still small voice or a series of, of circumstances that you're like, oh my gosh, that's exactly where I'm supposed to go. God speaks in a variety of ways, but he'll speak and he'll guide you and he'll nudge you in the right direction. Take the time to listen for God. It will save you all kinds of pain. But as I said at the beginning, there are times where God doesn't have an opinion, where he stays silent. And I've watched Christians get all hung up about, I just want God's will and I'm not gonna move unless God says something. And I don't think that's healthy either. There are times where we just have to make a decision, but not before we listen, not before we spend time seeking him for his will. If he's not speaking, you got you to gotta keep moving. You got to keep moving. So that leads me to the second question. Does this decision require a moral compromise? So if God's not saying anything, even if God is saying something, you want to run everything through the lens of Scripture. God will not lead you to violate something that Scripture clearly says. And we have so much more of God's thoughts and desires and plans in the Bible than Abram had to work with, right? We, we kind of distinct advantage here. There are so many things that we know. So if God is, if you're like, oh, you know, God's calling me to have this affair. No, he's not. That's not God. You want to run it through the lens of scripture. But if God's not speaking, just know that if it's, if it's leading you into a moral compromise, like, you know, trading your wife for stuff or lying or whatever, that's not God either. Does this decision require a moral compromise? If it does, don't do it. Third question is this, am I responding out of fear? Am I making a fear-based decision? And if yes, then what you need to do is you need to slow down. You need to pause and trust God that will get, he'll get you through whatever is to come. And you slow down the decision-making process. And you listen and you look and you pray. And, you, and you, you weigh decisions and you ask God, okay, is this way or this way? And, and, and a lot of times in those situations, there's a logical decision and there's a peace that will come when you make it but you don't wanna respond out of fear. So slow down if it's a fear situation. The fourth question is this, ask God for courage. Ask God for courage. Guys, following God 
It takes faith, trusting him to do what he says, even when we don't understand it. And it takes courage because oftentimes he will call us to go against the grain or to do the right thing no matter what, even when it costs us. That takes courage to follow him even when we can't see what the outcome is. Abram was, you know, called to follow God to the land that he will show him. Like, I don't know where I'm going, but he had the courage to get up and go. Ask God for courage. If you'll do these four things, you're not always going to have God direct every step because after following God for a long time and helping others do the same, we know that there are times he just wants us to take a next step and he'll, he'll end up guiding our steps. But if we ask these questions, if we ask these questions, we'll take the right steps. And then when we mess up, and we will, there'll be times, hopefully not on purpose, God will call us out of Egypt and he will redeem our mistakes and he will use us as world changers to help others find and follow him and to change the world we live in today. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much that your plan is better than ours. God, that that you have guardrails and guides for our lives, that you've given us your word Lord, that is full of instructions and, 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 and lays out clearly what is right and what is wrong. And, and God, I pray that you would help us in a, in a world and in a culture that is kind of walking away from, from you to hold fast to you. Lord, to hold fast to your word, to hold fast to your truth, and to live lives that look at the bigger picture and not just the short term. God, Help us not to undermine ourselves, but help us to walk in surrendered obedience to you. And God, use our lives. Use our lives to change this world. Use our lives to change and bless the lives of the people around us. God, use our lives to populate heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us on the Vineyard Podcast today. It's our greatest desire for people to find and follow God, and we hope this podcast is one way that helps you do just that. But don't stop here. We would love to see you face-to-face. God's people grow most in community, so don't forget you can join us live at the Capitol Theater in downtown Wheeling every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. If you'd like to connect with us in the meantime, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. You can catch up on previous messages and series, request prayer, and even download additional content. Thanks again for joining us this week. We'll see you next time.